thank you for downloading this episode of Historical Hot or Not. Just a note about this episode, Kath and I got too big for our boots and decided to record this episode locally and as an Instagram live recording. And unfortunately, we lost all of the former recording. So the audio you're about to hear is pulled from the Instagram live. It's a little bit rougher than usual. Our voices blow out when we accidentally talk over each other. But hey, it's still 45 minutes of good historical sexy comedy. Also, because it's an Instagram live, we sometimes refer to people who've come into the live recording to watch us. You don't hear them. We just refer to them like, oh, Ryan's just come into the room. Oh, uh, Helen's just come into the room. That kind of thing. Don't be alarmed. Uh, It's it's just digital avatars. The ghosts of social media who've come into our podcast. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. They might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment that puts the BDSM in history. That is bibliography, date and source material. Quite boring, really. My name is Aidan McCaffrey. I am not a historian and this is... Catherine Mather, who is also not a historian, uh, but we we are horny and we like history, so um, we decided to make this podcast where we could uh, find some really celebrated individuals and just ob- objectify the heck out of them. And it's been going quite well so far, hasn't it? It is, yeah. I like to think that our podcast is as educational as it is horny. Uh, yeah, for our respective partners. So, for ev- <laughs> hey, for my two respected partners, my wife and history, those are the two things I'm horny <laughs> for. Yes, yeah, history and your wife. It's incredible that we've actually managed to go down to two people watching now, considering that three, we're <laughs> <laughs> three of them. <laughs> well, no, I think uh, the hot not pod thing has, has left. The third account, the official Hunter, has left. So our own podcast has left this live recording. It's that good. might just be due to tech factors that I'm having. Um, <laughs> also today, we did mention that we were uh, going to talk about Martin Luther King on account of it being Martin Luther, well, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I'll be honest with you, what happened there was uh, at half past four this afternoon, <clears throat> I took a, a slightly closer look uh, at the calendar that my boyfriend has, has bought me. Uh, it's one of those you know, sort of dear, dear square ones, and it, it's got swear words on, on everyone. And I noticed that it said that it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I was like, Aidan, wouldn't it be fun if we could do an episode on something topical? And then I got <laughs> home uh, and realised how tired I was and how massive a topic it was for me to write in <laughs> just shy of an hour. So we'll not be doing that, but we will acknowledge uh, that it is a day of historical significance. I'm ballsy. I like I like to wade into controversial uh, waters, but I usually like to do it with some notes. 
the notes are very much my dinghy in dangerous waters. Mm. And I sort of feel like the crocodiles of controversial racial history would bite our legs off in these deep waters. So, um, hey, maybe we can do it in the future. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I just wouldn't want to be a cunt about it, you know, <laughs> which I would have been had we discussed this today because I'm horribly ill-informed. I've got a GCSE level <laughs> education. Uh, in it. That makes me feel quite good about the C that I got for A-level history, which is the um, level of authority you're going on with this history podcast, people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to con- continue my A-level in history uh, because I did so poorly at AS-level, which was a shame because I really enjoyed it, but uh, I also couldn't fault them because I had discovered uh, booze and boys at this point, so <laughs> <laughs> did not excel at my A-level. Basically, the reason I got into university was because it had been so long since my A-levels. We all just agreed to forget that they happened and they kind of just let me in. If the booze and boys had been Mead and kings of English history, they may have let you carry on. Mm. But I suspect it was just bottles of white lightning and mank boys. I assume that was what we're talking about. Yeah, well, mank boys would have been posh uh, because they would have been from Manchester. It would have been exciting. My boys were from uh, the Oldham Rochdale area. Slightly less glamorous as as mank that. Kath, let's call a spade a spade. They were scum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like me. <laughs> Historical hot or not. So the format of the episode, of the podcast, uh, at large, if you will, is that we discuss uh, our favourite figures from history, uh, some good, some bad, some kind of just indifferent. Uh, we, we pick history's most celebrated figures and uh, ask, yeah, but would you? We basically just say, would, would we fuck them? And if we would fuck them, well, then they go into the Bayo Tap Thatistry. Uh, and if we wouldn't fuck them, they can go back into the coffin and just fuck off. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we like to try and do a, an assessment of the personality as well as the figure, right? That seems yeah. fair. We've got the e app an entirely real and uh, not made up by the podcast uh, dating app. This episode, I am pitching to Kath a figure from history. Kath, if you'd like to open your e-trothed app, I have just sent you a picture of a man. His name is Selim I. He is 49 and he is from Amazia in Turkey. Okay. Well, I can't hear you because I'm on my phone when I open WhatsApp. I mean, the e <laughs> So, just bear with me a moment and I'll have a look at this fucking picture. What you are witnessing here, people, is pretty top-end internet broadcast. Two people struggling to uh, record a podcast on one app and then do a live broadcast of it on Instagram. Kathy, have you managed to look at that picture yet? I have, yeah. He seems to be made out of tile. Um, (laughs) So, I don't think he would be a good cuddly guy. He's got a moustache as well. I'm not sure how I feel about the moustache. I think it suits some people quite well. And then there'll be other people. It just looks dog shit on It's hard um, because he's made out of tiles. So I don't feel like it's going to be a true reflection of what he looks like as a person. You told me that your current boyfriend, Reese is entirely ceramic. So I thought this tiled <laughs> Ottoman ruler would have been well up your street. Yeah, well, you know, there's, I've only got room in my life for one... Uh, mosaic. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's the one that brought me a sweary calendar. What kind of time period are we looking at here? We're looking at 16th century. If you're watching on Instagram Live, you can Google Salim the First to see who we're talking about. If you're listening to the podcast, go into the podcast notes and there should be a link to his Etroth profile. He's got a big white turban. Uh, he's got quite nice robes. He's got a moustache that is bold, but I'm not entirely sure he's successful. Is that fair to say, Kath? Yeah, I agree. I think he'd probably look better without it. He looks like there were sort of two rats going into his nose, and we're just seeing the tails before they disappear up each respective nostril. Mm-hmm. Bushy tails, which is weird yes. for a rat. More like a squirrel? Either way, both rodents that you don't want hanging out of the nose of a prospective lover. Yeah, no. Um, as a rule, I try to avoid <laughs> uh, rodents in the face. Your rules are my guidelines, Kath, and guidelines... I will scrap them if I'm feeling desperate. Mm-hmm. Right, let's talk about the life of Selim I, who was uh, born in Amasya in northern Turkey around 1470, the youngest son of Bayezid II, a future sultan of the Ottoman Empire. We don't know who uh, Selim's mum is. Some people reckon it was a lady called Gulbahar. Others reckon it was Aysa Hatun. I actually don't know my own mum's name. Could be Liz, could be Linda. Am I going to find out? She lives around the corner. Can't be bothered. That's a no. Not much is known about Selim's early life. But on Historical Hot or Not, we are both anti-pedophilia and anti-hebophilia. So the lack of autobiographical stuff from this part of his life, not going to be a, a massive uh, problem here. Unless, Kath, you are into Turkish boys. No, no, absolutely not. Doesn't matter what anyone says. Uh, <laughs> I never touched him. Um... <laughs> I can I say first of all uh, how glad I am that he is the first as in royalty as opposed to the first as in like you know how the Americans do it and they're like yeah that's Walter James Smith the third <laughs> and they're like oh, it's just it doesn't matter why are you counting I also feel like there's a certain vanity in calling your son your name mm-hmm. would you do that. <laughs> It feels like you're trying to create a little mini-me. Oh, no, I'm definitely going to do it, but that's because I'm a narcissist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's a good thing. Yeah, Selim fair. did not name his first son, spoiler alert, he didn't name his first son after him. One of his sons, the one that succeeded him, is called Suleiman. Actually, Suleiman the Magnificent, which is quite fun. Suleiman then called his son Selim in honour of his dad, this guy. That feels more honourable. But if you just name yeah. your kid after yourself, yeah. you get life. You're in love with yourself. Yeah, I agree. Um, although there is something quite nice about passing a family name down like that. Actually, my wife is in. Her mum's middle name's Winifred, and she's given Elita, my wife, this middle name Winifred as well. Mm-hmm. So now it's like this thing that has to get passed down. But that's not your first name. I think middle name's okay. First name, you're an egomaniac. Do you know Ryan Seeger, Aidan? Or is it just... He really He's a work friend him. and also a fellow stand-up comedian. Oh, hi, Ryan. Um, th- thank you for joining us. Please say more sexually aggressive things about Aidan. Is he saying sexually aggressive stuff about me in the chat? Am I missing yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's coming up on my screen. Um, but Oh, I can see it. This yeah. is my favourite podcast. Thanks, Ryan. I think Aidan is so sexy. Suleiman, more like Kisserman. Hey, I'll do the jokes, Ryan, okay? <laughs> We're the comedians here. Tell me more, baby. Tell you more about selling one. Like, does he have a car? Ba, ba, na, na. <laughs> <laughs> he had a horse. 
Okay. Definitely had it all. God, I want to kiss him, me, with his big head. Uh, Ryan there was referring to the fact that I once did a roast battle in which the other comedian said that I had a midget head. Now, that yeah. joke might not make much sense in the live broadcast, but if you, if you ever see me in real life, my head is slightly too big for my five foot seven frame, mm -hmm. which is why he is making comic hay uh, with my appearance there. Just a little bit of background. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not here to talk about midget head. We're here to talk about Selim One. Before he became Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Selim was the governor of Trabzon, a Turkish city and province where he commanded an army and with whom he had a great reputation, having defeated a Safavid army of Shah Ismail in 1505, the Safavids being what we would now know as Iran. He faced Shah Ismail's Safavid army again in 1507, two years after the original, but unlike in Rocky II, where this time Rocky won, Shah Ismail lost again, making it more like Rambo won and Rambo II, where Rambo wins both times. In 1510, he defeated the Safavids again, although in Rocky III, Rocky both loses and wins back his heavyweight championship title. So the analogy ceases to work here, and I haven't seen Rambo III. Kath, question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have a mortal enemy on the stand-up scene, and how many armies of open-mic comedians have you sent to try and destroy them? Good God, no. Um, I can't think of anyone directly that I've got any beef with, uh, a nemesis or an, or an enemy. Um, I've got people that I try to avoid, but that's probably because they're sexual predators. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, why we, that's why we record this podcast remotely from each other, isn't it, Kath? Yeah, yeah. Not after the restraining order, which you still won't get taken off me. So, screw you, Aidan. Um, God, God, it's my own safety, Kath. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, in 1512, Bayezid announced Sezade Ahmed, Selim's older brother, as his successor, and Selim flipped and went to war with his father, with Selim winning, after which he exiled his dad to northeastern Greece. In an attempt to quell civil strife that had resulted from antagonism between his dad and his uncle, after acceding to the throne, Selim also put his brothers and his nephews to death. Now, that is extreme. My dad is still fucked off that my uncle Nigel hasn't returned his angle grinder. And I've only killed half of my brothers and half of my nephews because of it. Mm -hmm. All is extreme. Some is reasonable. I agree. And that has got to be an awkward Christmas, hasn't it? Are you going to come to me or shall I come to you? <laughs> well, you did exile Miss Agrees, son. So I guess you've got to travel. <laughs> you exiled me to Greece and killed all my brothers. I'm not sure if I should come to Christmas. No, he'd be too big of a narcissist, wouldn't he? I have started hosting Christmas at my house, though, so actually the idea of reduced numbers becomes more appealing. So mm -hmm. I may have to take a leaf from Selim's book. According to the Smithsonian Magazine, whichever member of the ruling dynasty succeeded in seizing the throne on the death of the old sultan, was not merely permitted, but enjoined to murder all of his brothers, together with any inconvenient uncles and cousins, in order to reduce the risk of subsequent rebellion and civil war. Don't know about your day job, Kath, but that is exactly how it works in my day job. <laughs> if, that if that coordinator role comes up, you better get stabbing or be stabbed. Uh, and your brothers. And your brothers. <laughs> Kath, question for you. We're trying to assess the bangability of selling one here. And this, this whole murdering all your relatives thing, it feels like a red flag, doesn't it? You know, if this was a Bumble bio and it said, Selim, 42, music buff, 
avid walker, fratricidal maniac. Feels like a swipe left situation, would you say? Yeah, I just think that murdering that many members of your direct family is a bit of a turn-off for me. Like, I find it quite difficult. I'm quite an anxious person. Uh, you know, as, as comedians, we're always on the go, aren't we? You know, there's not, there's, we're always doing, and I just, I find it very uh, difficult to decompress. And kind of like with uh, Vlad the Impaler, I, I just think that when someone's murdered that many people, you would think that your own dad would be off limits, unless he did something horrendous, which, I don't know, like, doing his job wasn't that horrendous, <laughs> was it, you know? Just because you want your dad's job as an MDT coordinator, <laughs> then what? <laughs> then you get murdered. Your yeah. sister Helen Nather gets murdered. Everyone gets murdered, including yeah. all your auntie Nathas. Yeah, and they've not done anything. Well, it's not that you're not selling him to me. Uh, it's it's his um, actions that, that isn't uh, selling him to me. I can't believe you're not into a fratricidal maniac, Kath. What's wrong with you? This guy's a dream. We don't know that he's he a maniac yet, do we? Yeah, he's, he's only murdered all his family. He might be okay. Let's find out. Only uh, the males in the family, which who can honestly say that they've not considered that before? In our system of monarchy, you wouldn't become, it wouldn't necessarily be first in line to be the king. He would no. be, if you'll allow me to say a topical word, he was the spare. Now, I, yeah. Now, I already thought that some of Harry, I do feel sorry for Harry as like someone whose mother died the way she does. But mm -hmm. it is sort of hard to read some of the stuff from his book and not think, do I give a shit about any of these, this small fries nonsense? Like he had a fight <laughs> with his brother. I've got four brothers. Do you know what I mean? That means I've been beaten up by four different men in my own household. I just think if Harry was a bit more like Selin, he wouldn't be having fist fights with his brother. He would have murdered William, murdered his nonce uncle, probably murdered Eugenie and Beatrice as well. And now the tabloids would have to bow to Meghan in respect. You know what I mean? I would be into the monarchy if that's how it went. If it was still like the olden times where they're all just constantly murdering each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if I could kill one of them, then I become queen. I'd be way more engaged. I'm not saying that I'd kill anybody. Um, not at all. I wouldn't want the job. It seems like a lot of hard work. But if I um, lived in Buckingham Palace, I would struggle to exist in that many rooms. I think I would just find like a kitchen and just live in there and it'd be weird. But I would engage with the royal family a lot more if they were a bit more murderer. Well, like, yeah, I think you're totally right, Kath. Imagine if like Harry and Meghan did an exclusive Hello photo spread and mm -hmm. it was just them at Buckingham Palace with the severed limbs of all their immediate family scattered <laughs> all around them, splattered in red. The red would go with the Hello logo. I just think I'd be on board with that. Not this sort of, I don't know, I got frostbite on my dick nonsense that Harry's currently spouting. Yeah, particularly if all of the limbs were laid out on the floor and it spelled out, come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. In his own limbs. It was spelled in his own limbs. And <laughs> Prince, uh, King Prince William was just like, had no legs and arms like that knight in Monty Python. Just like <laughs> Hello, some people that have just joined. Hello, James Nixon. Hello, Andrew W. Andrew. Love the name. Uh, Andrew Forsyth, uh, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. 
You, you just went and visited in Australia. I did, yeah. And I will be writing an episode about some of the criminals that I encountered in Australia. Like Andrew W. Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Andrew Forsyth and Squizzy Taylor and... Uh... <laughs> Mungo Jim, all, this, all the other characters that we named last time. Yeah, yeah. New joiners, we're doing a biography of Salem the First and Kathy Ender's going to decide if she's going to have sex with him, sell him the first, 16th century, let's get to this. So he killed all his relatives, his brothers yeah. and nephews and uncles, most of them, the problematic ones, the ones that might challenge his throne. But he didn't kill all of them. Yeah. According to the Smithsonian Magazine, from around 1600, generations of Ottoman royals were kept imprisoned there until they were needed, sometimes several decades later, consoled in the meantime by the barren concubines and limited recreations, the chief of which was macrame. Yeah, do you know what macrame is? No. <laughs> macrame, bear in mind, all they can do in this tower is have sex with barren women and do macrame. Macrame is fucking knitting. That's all they I can like do. I'm hat. Hey! Yeah. So if you were if you were a relative of an Ottoman ruler and you were put in a tower with just loads of eunuchs and some some knitting gear, you'd be quite happy. Oh, I'd have such a good time. Like that is that's my retirement plan. <laughs> Can I go? <laughs> you said that so hopefully. There was so much hope in your eyes. Can't just get down to Istanbul. I'm sure they'll lock you up in a tower with some. Uh, Yes. <laughs> some knitting needles. <laughs> I love this. They locked up their uncles and said, you can fuck menopausal cat ladies and you can crochet jumpers and that's it. You can do nothing else. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a punishment. I'm with you, Kath. Baron means bareback in my book and I have been looking for a new hobby, so lock <laughs> me up there too. Also, uh, what an insulting way. Like, what a horrible job. How would you begin, begin asking those people? Excuse me, miss. Are you barren? <laughs> well, there's no way of conclusively proving that because it is the 1500s. Yeah, but you look kind of old. You are at least 25. Well, yeah, that is true. And I am still alive and haven't died in childbirth. Well, have I got a job for you? Full time. Accommodation included. If you, do you like entertainment? There's lots of knitting going on. You're going to absolutely love this. Yeah. You do have to suck the occasional royal cock, though. Yeah. That, that's the only downside. Uh, before any textile nerds write in or comment, I know knitting and macrame and crocheting aren't the same thing, but fuck <laughs> you, it's my comedy show. And if I want to conflate all three of them for comic purposes, I bloody will. <laughs> uh, Jose Wrights has just joined. Nice to meet you. Uh, Irina Stolen just did lots of smiley faces. Clearly a big fan of menopausal ladies being fucked while some knitting's happening in the background. Uh, we love your enthusiasm, Irina. <laughs> Wikipedia says that one of Salem's first challenges as Sultan of the Ottoman Empire was growing tensions with the Safavid Empire led by Shah Ismail. Now, Kath, I don't know, would you describe three military campaigns in seven years as growing tensions? I personally would describe the fact they haven't fixed the coffee machine at my work in four weeks as growing tensions. <laughs> my neighbour's untrimmed hedge spilling into our garden, that's a growing tension. A decade of bloodshed that has already happened feels like the tensions have grown, graduated from university and have largely set for mortgage by that point. <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, it, it, it stopped being tension in the first battle. 
<laughs> it's like saying a couple who have like already fucked a hundred times. God, there's a real untapped <laughs> sexual tension between those two. It's like, I don't think it's untapped. I think the tap's very much been turned on, not turned off for quite a few months now. Mm. According to Wikipedia, Ismail converted the Persian state religion from Sunni to Shia Islam. Earlier in his reign, Selim created a list of all Shiites aged 7 to 70 in a number of Anatolian cities and executed all the ones he could find, mostly by beheading. It was the largest massacre in Ottoman history until the 19th century. Kath, what is the first thing you do when you get a new job? Um, make sure I've got somewhere to put my mug and tea. Um... So you don't massacre thousands of Shiite children? No, I can't say I've done that. Um, yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I ever would, for the record. It does confuse me. Why, why do they not count as people below seven and over 70? This is the good guy in <laughs> selling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, whoa, whoa, hang on. I've got a line. Mm. I will gladly behead a seven-year-old. I will gladly behead someone in year three. But year two in reception class? What do you think I am, a monster? Yeah, I didn't... Listen, listen, A, I did not kill that newborn baby. I just <laughs> killed all of its parents and anyone that could look after it and left it on its own. I took out an entire Cub Scout clan, but I left the beavers alone. <laughs> what a real great guy. And then on his Twitter bio, it said that he was laid back. <laughs> laid back about killing six-year-olds. Uh... <laughs> I'm with you, Kath. Find somewhere to put your coffee. But first day in a new job, your traditional thing is you get set up with a login, you get to lock a space, instructions for accessing the car park. You know, massacring an entire enemy ethnic group when you become king, it's bold. It's a bold first day at the work. You know, you've got HR saying, have you completed your onboarding film? No, but I have killed thousands of children in Anatolia. Okay, we love your enthusiasm, but if you don't complete that onboarding form, you won't be able to get a security pass. So can you please get on that ASAP? <laughs> Cheers. According to Hussein Mirza Paragolz's Alevism in Turkey, Selim attacked Ismail's kingdom in 1514 to stop the spread of Shiism into Ottoman territory. On his way, he had 50,000 Alevis murdered. Alevis is an Islamic offshoot, which Selim more or less sees as being the same as Shiites. Yeah, so on the way to battle, he stops to kill 50,000 Alevis. I just can't imagine how this would have gone with Selim and his compadres. We just stopped. Why are we stopping again? And he's mm. like, sorry, I forgot I had to massacre 50,000 Shiites. You just massacred thousands of Shiites yesterday. You can't be bloodthirsty again. Kath, What's the most spurious thing you've made someone pull over for? Andrew, uh, who is listening, um, we we had to pull his car over because it was almost, well, it looked like it were on fire. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was just an awful lot of smoke coming out of it. So. Well, you're driving in Australia, Kath, in the story, right? I think yeah. that's just a common thing that happens in the outback. Like, is the bonnet on fire again? Uh, pull over and find some shade. There's some shade in like 100 miles. We'll pull over there. Yeah, well, no, no, because when I went to Australia, Aidan, get this, it was cold. But you the went like two months ago in the middle of summer. In November? What, what the fuck? What the actual fuck? I had to buy this jumper there. I was Is this so... why you got into knitting? To keep warm in the yeah. Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, 
thought that I, I took shots and everyone in Australia was like, oh, it won't be that warm. And I'm like, <laughs> your whole mouth is Australia and all the adverts say it's hot. And you know what? It wasn't. And I am furious. Take your money back. Uh, Andrew says fire is part of the Australian experience. So, yeah. Well, look, it's either you see a bushfire or you set on fire yourself. And unfortunately, mm. you've got the latter of those options, Kath. Salim I defeated Ismail at the Battle of Chaldiran. I've read that right. I love Again. that you have written an episode in which you can't pronounce anyone's <laughs> names or <laughs> any of the players' names. Often what I do, Kath, in my notes is I put in brackets the phonetic way to spell it so I don't trip myself up. But I forgot to do it for that one. Anyway, Selim I defeated Ismail at the Battle of Chaldiran. Again, this isn't really like Rocky IV, because at the start of that film, Ivan Drago kills Apollo Creed, Rocky's best friend, although Rocky does win in the end, so in a way, the Selim is Rocky analogy does work. Plus, Selim is from the relative west, like Rocky, to Ismail's relative east, like Drago. So the Rocky-Drago fight is touted as the ultimate west versus east fight. So it kind of works. Anyway, here's a fun fact, Kath. Selim and Ismail exchanged a series of belligerent letters prior to some of their battles. Do you want to know what the letters were about? Yeah, I do. Well, I was hoping it was going to be really petty, like they're arguing over parking spaces or something, you know, like, mm -hmm. Selim is, Dear Ismail, you have parked your horse in my parking space again. <laughs> you know it's my parking space because it says reserved for sultans of the Ottoman Empire. I'd let it go, but this is the third time. Please remove your horse or there will be consequences. To which uh, Ismail would respond, Dear Salem, you are correct in your observance that I parked my horse in your parking space. However, there is no dedicated space for Shahs of Iran, so I had nowhere to park. I could have parked in the NCP horse park in town, but it's over three miles away and the hourly rates are extortionate. I'd be happy to park in a different place if a place was provided. Regards, Ismail. Dear Ismail, there were several other spaces besides mine that day. You deliberately parked in mine, not the others, so this is a provocation. In retaliation, I'm going to murder thousands of children. Regards, sell it. Is that real? No. I, oh. It may surprise you that I made that up as a comic riff. I did actually read some <laughs> of the letters. Selims in particular are very long-winded, and they're, they're another example. Actually, he was a poet. They're an example of how Selim was like a warlord poet, which uh, is more than you can say for Simon Armitage. Simon Armitage... How many kids have you killed this year? None, exactly. Selim the first was better than you. Kath, mm -hmm. I'm going to read you a bit of the poem. Even though I know from a previous episode that you fucking hate poetry. This is Selim to Ismail. Then shall I rise up doomsday on the earth. Then shall I roast the hearts of lion-hearted men and toast the morning with a goblet of their blood. My crow-fletched shaft will fix the eagle in his flight, and my bare blade will shake the orb of day. Ask of the sun about the dazzle of my reign. Inquire of Mars about the brilliance of my arms. Although you wear a Sufi crown, I bear a trenchant sword, and he who holds the sword will soon possess the crown. O mighty fortune, pray grant this my single wish. Please let me take both crown and power from the foe. Basically, Kath, this is a long-winded way of Selim saying, I'm going to fuck you up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> fuck you up good. See, I like this poetry because I understand it. He's not shy about what he's <laughs> saying. He's not... I am going to drink your fucking blood. 
I know that that stands the test of time, that phrase, doesn't it? It's not like suddenly that's a nice thing, you know, like yeah. um, when when you're reading an, a, a book from the 40s and it just drops an N-bomb in as a descriptive <laughs> and you're like, oh no, I've gone <laughs> off it now, I don't, I don't want to touch it anymore. Or, you know, like when when people uh you know like when my grandma would say gay to mean happy and you're like oh that's you know that means something <laughs> else now but yeah sure i guess the milkman is gay according to the foreign relations of the ottoman empire under salome the first by elizabeth Fortuato creda ismail responded to one of salome's letters by having an envoy deliver a letter accompanied by a box of opium the Shah's letter insultingly implied that Selim's prose was the work of an unqualified writer on drugs. Selim was enraged by the Shah's denigration of his literary talent and ordered the Persian envoy to be torn to pieces. Oh dear. But that's introducing the messenger, right? Yeah, well, he basically then is going to war with the writer. But in the process, he's also tearing the messenger to bits. Going to uh, war with Royal Mail. <laughs> Destroy everything. Kath, what's the worst insult someone has sent you for your stand-up comedy? Oh, well, actually, uh, it came up on my Facebook memories today. Uh, I had received an email, the only email that I've got um, saying anything about my stand-up. It was from someone I didn't know, um, and the, um, the subject of it was bitch comedy. <laughs> and it, it just said in the in the message it just said are you moron shit cunt maggie from rowley <laughs> i mean if that was a character that you play in your stand-up that would be pretty bad <laughs> moron shit cunt maggie yeah yeah that's me <laughs> i think you should change your name your on stage name for that please welcome to the stage moron shit cunt maggie <laughs> I mean, it would have been hurtful if it wasn't so funny, you know? <laughs> That's um, the thing. You've got, you've got to give him props for that. What about you, Ed? What is the... Uh, what, what feedback have you got from people? I have a constant worry that I'm a three-star comedian because no one seems that animated by my stand-up either way. <laughs> I seem to have no one loves me and no one hates me. I'm just coasting along as a pleasant three-star comic. I was trying to think, what's the modern equivalent of this... Shah Ismail insult. He sends a letter accompanied by a box of opium, which is his way of saying, you're on drugs, and then Selim rips the part of the messenger. I kind of feel like if I sent you a full pack of Red Stripe mm -hmm. and then ripped the limbs off the promoter that booked you, that would be the sort of modern equivalent of this insult, wouldn't it? If I wrote you a nasty letter, right, and then you sent me back a letter saying, uh, you, you poem shit, here's a 10 bag, I'd be like, fucking yes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write you as many nasty poems as you like if I keep getting these gifts. <laughs> yeah, if I was done the first with my opium box, I wouldn't have ripped the limbs off the guy because I'd be fucking looking for a vein on my arm to shoot the next <laughs> bit of heroin into it. <laughs> as a little celebration, <laughs> I have been given some free heroin. <laughs> Suddenly I don't want to go to war anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to get high. And uh, been feeling pretty good. <laughs> exactly. And tomorrow I'm going to be too depressed to go to war because I'll be on the come down. But that's okay because it was a really big box of heroin. So <laughs> it's like it was a year's supply. <laughs> uh, 
According to David Morgan's Shah Ismail and the establishment of Shaism, Ismail lost the Battle of Chaldiran because he failed to accept the advantages of modern firearms. It's like I've always said, Kath, don't bring a spud gun to an anthrax fight. Mm -hmm. Salim would later annex the entire Mamluk Sultanate, gaining territory from Syria to Palestine, Hejaz to the Arabian Peninsula, and into Egypt. In 1520, he was planning to expand his empire westward, but his plans were interrupted by his actual death. Kath, if a loved one died, would you cancel your holiday plans? Depends how close they are to me. Or how close you are to the holiday. Yes. If you're yeah. in the airport and your mum drops dead, oh, what do I do? It's difficult, isn't it? Because they will still be dead when you get back. That's kind of the point. But on the but same we... token, hmm. Falaraki will still be there after the funeral. That is true, but your non-refundable deposit won't be. And is yeah. that what you would have wanted, Aidan? You see, my line here is, have I crossed the gate? If I cross the gate... <laughs> and my wife or mum drops dead, Yeah, I'm getting on that plane. I just say to the stewardesses, stewards, can you clean this up? I, I just, I could, be, I could be in Alicante in three hours, mm -hmm. but if it was the other way around, uh, I would be, I'd do the decent thing and I'd uh, stay, but only if it was on this side of the game. So in this scenario, your wife and mum are with you in the airport? And you just yeah. walk away from their dead bodies. Only if I'm on, I've already gone through the gates. I'm not a monster cat. <laughs> Which is even like, they would have gone through the gates as well, because you would be with them. No, because I could have gone through first. They could have dropped dead just as they were about to put their passports through. In which case, would you just keep going? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I've been saying for the past five minutes. I mean, my views on this are largely informed by the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I've only just gone on my first plane flying holiday in mm -hmm. three years and honestly my whole family could have been taken out in a nuclear blast and i would have been over the channel in a plane with yeah, yeah. yeah what's done is done yeah exactly uh the last plane flight i took uh was it, it took me 30 hours it was very uncomfortable and i cried a few times and the whole way you were thinking I hate this, but at the other end, there's a very hot country, and you landed, and it wasn't hot. Because for some reason, Australia was cold when you went there. In the winter, I know. Jamie Wilson, 76, is who joined. She's from Australia. Uh, mm. And because she's Australian, she will know that Australia is sometimes cold. But we English people, we just think that's bullshit. We're like, no, it's not. And then we find out the hard way when we fly to Australia in the middle of July. Yeah, and then someone, you get off the plane, and you're like... I smell rancid. I have been on a plane <laughs> for about six days. I don't know where I am anymore. I feel sick and tired. Please, I just want to lie down. And they're like, is that dirt on your shoes? And I'm sorry. <laughs> was stopped by the fucking fashion police on the way in. <laughs> have you got an apple? What the fuck are you on? <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had an apple confiscated. Not even trying to leave Australia, trying to cross a state border in Australia. And if you try and carry an apple over a state border in Australia, you might as well have like a bag of opium shoved up your ass. It's mental. Mm. They do not, in fact, I think Australian border police would rather you had class A drugs up you than, say, a clementine. It's an insane place. It is. It's fucking mental. Historical hot or not. 
Official reason for selling the first to death was an untreated carbuncles. Listeners, get your carbuncles looked at. Otherwise, those plans to invade Wallachia, they're going to be screwed. What's the reason? Uh, it's like a sort of pussy wound. Uh, sorry. It's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on, it's... <laughs> No, that's just a wound or a pussy. No, um, <laughs> it's a wound that's got puss in it, not a pussy that has a wound in it. Although, in theory, right. you could have a carbuncle within a pussy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Hi, Fiona. <laughs> so... Hello, Fiona. Hello, Simon Harriet. Well, you just joined an opportune moment. Um, Tell me reasons... about this. Wound. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the death of Selim I, an Ottoman ruler. He had a carbuncle, basically, but there are some conspiracy theories. Uh, some people thought it might be poisoning. Some people think it might be plague. From his perspective, it doesn't matter. The guy's dead, and we can't prove it either way. Um, according to Wikipedia, or in this case, no shit Sherlockopedia, Selim had a fiery temper. Really? You know, yeah, this guy that massacred thousands of children and adults had a fiery temper, apparently. But this does raise the good question, Kath. Has there ever been a Zen warlord? Has any <laughs> warlord ever thought, I'm going to massacre 10,000 Turks today, but only after I've done my meditation exercises? You know, <laughs> I like to do... that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before I slaughter hundreds of kids, I just like to do some mindfulness exercises, you know. <laughs> Listen to the sound of a waterfall before I behead a, 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 a troop of scouts. <laughs> uh, Irina Stoyan says, Lul. Thanks, Irina. We appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of this episode. I'll just give you one more anecdote about Selim One. The same article says, a famous anecdote relates how another vizier, viziers were like ministers, this vizier playfully asked the sultan for some preliminary notice of his doom so that he might have time to put his affairs in order. The sultan laughed and replied that indeed he had been thinking of having the vizier killed but had no one fit to take his place. Otherwise, he would have gladly obliged. <laughs> I like that they can have a laugh about it. That's fun. Yeah, what a great guy. Bit of light banter around the cabinet table. Um, <laughs> Stalin. I'm getting my will updated on Tuesday. So if you are going to purge me, could you do it on Wednesday or wait until business hours close on Tuesday? That would just be a really great help. Thanks, Stalin. If you could murder me by end of play, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> the Turkish historian Nestor Sakaoglu argues that despite his short eight-year reign, Selim prepared the Ottoman Empire to reach its zenith under the reign of his son and successor, Suleiman the Magnificent. Other names of Selim I include Selim the Grim and Selim the Resolute, which proves the old adage, one man's resolute is another man's genocidal maniac. <laughs> uh, other sources I use for this episode include Alan McHale's God's Shadow, Sultan Selim, his Ottoman Empire, and the making of the modern world. Kath, would you get grim with Selim the Grim? Would you let Selim the Resolute up your shoot. What do you say? No. Um, I don't think you saw, told me a single nice story about him. <laughs> he doesn't kill six-year-olds. He only kills seven-year-olds and above. This is a nice guy. Capital N, capital G. Well, yeah, what a lovely man. You're so right. Um, no, I just... I mean, physically, 
he's not exactly what I would go for. Uh, I don't mind a moustache, but usually when it's got a bit more bit, I think it's difficult. It doesn't, as I said before, it doesn't suit everyone. It doesn't suit him. I don't know why he's still doing it. He is a cold individual, and that's not just because uh, he was made out of mosaic in the image that you sent to me. Uh, he seems quite cold uh, in that he'll kill a lot of people, including his own family, and that would make me feel quite uneasy. You know, I'd, I, we all like a bad boy, don't we? You know? <laughs> and if he was, maybe, if you just sent me a picture and in the mosaic he was, I don't know, sat astride a motorcycle, uh, smoking a cigarette in a leather jacket, then I'd be more inclined to be like, hmm. He's on a horse, he's smoking some opium, and he's got loads of murdered children behind him. And that, yeah. that is a hinge profile pic that you very much swipe left on. Would you fucking hurt him? No, I don't know why I proposed him to you. When I read about him, I was like, this man's awful. We're going to call it a day there. That's the end of the live episode and the podcast. Thanks for everyone who logged into the Instagram live feed to, to, to watch this. We do appreciate your viewing your input. If you liked it, go onto any podcasting app of your choice or Spotify uh, and just search for Historical Hot or Not. We've recorded about 14 or 15 episodes of this now. They are all up there to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Hey, friends, share our videos to your stories, retweet our tweets, spread the word. It's a fun podcast, we like to think. And remember, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not with me, Catherine Mather and Aidan McCaffrey. Theme song by David Eagle and our logo is by Richard Todd. You can head over to co-b.com forward slash hotnotpod. Over there we've got some Hot Not merch. We are currently selling branded condoms and branded badges. Get over there while stocks last.